This is what Daniel Sky thought as he tumbled deeper and deeper into dark and empty space. First, wow. Second, wearing this ugly orange spacesuit is really a terrible way to die. Third, alone in the vacuum of space is really a terrible way to die. Fourth, and finally, this really does feel like a movie. And in spite of those millions of emotions that flooded his brain before death, and in spite of the obligatory flashing of life before misty eyes, Daniel Sky was calm. His unflattering orange spacesuit did not quake. And he drifted, condemned, through an ocean of spectral green nebula. He drifted beside an orb of frozen oceans and volatile golden continents. He drifted toward a ball of fire many light years away from the sun he was born beneath. And there was no noise in the vacuum of space except for the increasingly laboured breath of the dead man floating. There was no perceptible motion from the suit, nor from the cloud of colour and objects that hung in the space about it. It was in this way that Daniel Skye's tragic, agonising death was granted an air of tranquility. He was calm. And once each of his four clear thoughts had had their time to live and die, but before allowing his brain to melt into the serenity of a final end, Daniel thought back to the airlock. The computer lit up in a not quite critical but far from calm yellow. Daniel Sky was alone on the bridge, halfway through his shift, while the rest of the Atlantis's crew slept away the endless trauma of life in deep space. The great starship danced through a distant green nebula within sight of a lifeless planet made of poison and ice. Indeed, out the windscreen was the raveling cosmos. Out the windscreen was yet another network of impossible colours that waxed and waned to the tune of some unseen chemistry, to some atomic accidents. And that's all it was to Daniel, all it had been for many weeks now. The majestic cosmic wonder of interstellar space was just a magic trick of helium and light. He didn't hate it, he'd just grown indifferent. Numb. He waved away the computer's yellow flashing. He could wait until the nominal morning shift. Daniel Skye sipped at a cup of tea and dreamt, without sleeping, of home. He pined for dirt, for running water, for standing statues still. He pined for no through roads. The computer's yellow light turned suddenly gravely orange and beeped to Daniel its sense of urgency. Orange meant damage to the ship's hull. Well, maybe the fresh air would do him some good. He walked through the ship like a ghost. It didn't feel real. As he walked, he inspected the crisis from the computer. 
It said there was a grade 2 punctured heat shield. Shit. Blown circuitry in a portside sector, auxiliary power at a declining 70% and oxygen stores at risk. Would need welding from the outside and some electrical work from within. The impact zone was contained but vulnerable to bleed, with a storm of moderate debris forecast in 20 minutes. No. Three minutes. The computer flashed suddenly red. Daniel's sky started running. It felt just like a book. Like a movie. Daniel Skye loved science fiction, consumed it to the point of desensitization, and now even the lurching of the great, very real rocket ship seemed somehow fake and cliché. He ran through sparks and screaming metal and put on his own spacesuit, feeling the whole time that he'd done this all before. He tore into the airlock chamber and though it wasn't strictly protocol, to save time he triggered the countdown before being tethered. The long metal rope that would anchor Daniel's spacewalk, known as the umbilical cord, was snagged on some machinery that had been tossed about by the ship's panicked lurching. Daniel Sky watched himself target the cord to no avail. He watched the seconds descend. He watched himself look at the big emergency abort button. He watched himself not make any attempt to hit it. He watched himself struggle and he watched himself wonder distantly if he was doing it all on purpose. Three, two, one. People in films and books always die like this, thought Daniel. It's the airlock. It's always the airlock. Even the verush of pressurised air being sucked out and obliterated by the vacuum of space sounded just like the movies. Sounded almost familiar. As if he'd been ripped untethered into the never-ending galaxy some time before. By now the sleeping crew would be scrambling through the ship. They'd be getting to the airlock seeing the pinned umbilical cord and looking out of the porthole window at a drifting orange dot. There were 80 metres of black, dead space between Daniel and the Atlantis. He drifted away at 4 metres per second. The shuttle would take 9 standard Earth minutes to launch and by then he would be kilometres away. He had only 25 litres of auxiliary oxygen to survive on without the umbilical cord. He would not last long. The Atlantis had six other crew members. All six brains would be needed to meet the ship's red alert. Launching the shuttle would mean gambling a multi-billion dollar mission at infinitesimal odds. It would mean sacrificing six lives to probably not even save one. It took Daniel Sky 15 seconds to complete and double check these calculations. And a further 30 seconds to appreciate what they meant. And so, he floated, killed by physics and reason, and was left to die slowly among the stars. And once that reality was crystallized, Daniel looked around. 
The Atlantis looked strange and foreign amongst the great green nebula, like a scrap of ugly metal in a world of ephemeral gas. The cloud was freckled with the gold and crimson light of bright burning stars. And the nebula itself, it moved without moving. It coursed around and through itself in such a slow, grand procedure that it seemed to live and hang beyond any influence of time or space. Daniel Sky cried at and for universe. He cried that he'd forgotten how to love. Science reasoned away the unreasonable. Physics made sense of an unimaginably, enormously gorgeous universe that did not exist for him. Daniel was sorry to have been blinded by chemistry. And for a few moments in shimmering green, which Daniel felt every incredible, fleeting second of. Everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Everything is beautiful and nothing hurts, he whispered. It was the science fiction reference. What a load of shit, said Daniel. What am I doing? Mere minutes of existence remaining and I'm pissing away my oxygen reserves by whispering sci-fi references like, fuck, you've only got... Daniel went suddenly very quiet in order not to waste his oxygen reserves. And then he laughed at himself, not caring about how much precious air it would expel. And then he sighed with the same philosophy. Daniel thought about the situation at large. Hurtling through empty space in a nion technicolor orange spacesuit, laughably small beside the planets and clouds and burning star he floated towards, dying like a character in a cheesy movie without the reprieve of a third act. There was no one else. No one else coming, and he was dedicating valuable brain function to poetry. To bad poetry. This all seemed to Daniel a complicated and expensive way to die. It had taken decades of personal application, countless feats of engineering, and billions upon billions of dollars to fund. Daniel Sky thought there was something very funny about all that going to waste. About how much his dying would cost the taxpayer. And he laughed. You know, there's nothing quite like a slow death in outer space to put things in perspective. Surrounded by miscellaneous beeps and whirs and Darth Vader breathing, it all seemed ridiculous. Like he'd come a very, very long way just to act in some very, very bad science fiction. Like, produced by tacky art students bad. Like science fiction on a budget. Daniel came to realise that his corpse was corked in an airtight container that was immune to decay in the vacuum of space. And he'd float, preserved, until he was ripped apart by the gravity of a planet or intercepted by aliens. And he wondered what the hell they would make of all of this. And if they'd find it as strange or as funny as he did, that he'd come so far from home to die alone, and so far from home to die in orange. He laughed again. He couldn't stop. And with no one there to watch, who can really say when Daniel Sky's laughter became tears?
what Daniel Sky realised mid-cry was that the vacuum of space is a uniquely lonely place. It is one of those places so overwhelmingly untouched by humankind, so bereft of anything but the universe in its truest form, that one cannot help but confront their own existence. And Daniel Sky realised that he was not a person of much substance at all. There was nothing beautiful about slow suffocation. There was nothing funny about dying like this. And there was a cruelty in the spectral greens and wicked purple gases of deep space that could claim a life with such sickening splendour and indifference. And all the while there was a smallness, a laughable insignificance to Daniel Skye's most profound tragedy. Dwarfed by lumps of gargantuan rock, bigger and older and more beautiful than he would ever be, Daniel Skye knew that his life did not matter. The planets, the nebula, the stars, the universe would not mourn his loss. The air was getting thin, but Daniel Skye did not pray. Gulps of clean oxygen were few and far between. A scared and dying brain pumped all manner of chemical and emotion into the blood, and though he felt a great many unfathomable, uncategorized feelings, he was calm. It was just like a movie, he thought. Mathematically, logically, or with any sense of galactic scale, Daniel Sky was unimportant. And yet here he was, the star of his own movie. A weird, shit, experimental film, maybe. But one with his name on the poster. He did not matter to anyone or anything but himself. And in his final moments, that made him feel important. As each breath became more difficult, more toxic, his thoughts became four. One, the universe is beautiful. Two, the universe is ridiculous, goofy, absurd. Three, the universe is cruel. Four, this is just like a movie, a movie of my own. That was Dead Man Floating, some tacky, art student produced science fiction on a budget about a man who dies in space, basically. That's the that's the elevator pitch. If you're liking the podcast, just bloody slide it a review, a nice juicy five-star review, really boosted up the charts and algorithms and stuff. Instagram, websites, and email links are all in the show notes. Honesty system, you get the idea. Dead Man Floating was the fifth episode of These Stories Are Not Real. The sixth and final episode is coming out next week. Until then, I'll leave you with this reminder never to watch a TED Talk by a beatboxer and then think that it would be cool or arty or fun to make your own sound effects using nothing but the voice, especially when you have no beatboxing skills and are a mediocre at best sound designer. 
It's probably one of the weirdest 45 minutes of my life. I've condensed into 30 seconds. Use the internet for sound effects. Don't be a hero. Thanks for listening. Spacey drone. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>